Well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Levi, and I serve as one of the elders here. We're going to continue through the book of Colossians, and we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Uh, while you're turning there, I just want to let you know that today is a big day in the pancake household. Uh, today, we are getting a puppy at our house. So, if you are um, a big fan of dogs, you can rejoice with us. And if you're not a dog person, you could pray for us. Either way, um, we invite you to share in this joy or misery uh, with, with us. Uh, all right, Colossians chapter 3, uh, this is the Word of the Lord. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this time together now to praise You and to worship You and to have uh, fellowship with one another. Ask now that You would incline our hearts, open our eyes. Give us understanding and satisfy us with Your Word and with Your promises this morning. We love You, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, a person's identity comes with a certain characteristics. A person's identity, it informs the way that they live. Uh, I was reminded of this uh, several weeks ago, about a month ago, as uh, our family was driving to visit some extended family in another state. Now, this was before um, states were getting put on naughty lists or quarantine lists, and the states that I visited at the time were not on the naughty list. But nonetheless, so fret not, it's been over 14 days uh, and all that. But as I was driving on 81 and then 476, um, uh, the digital billboards on the, on the roads, you know, 81 South, uh, it said, New York tough. And then I get into Pennsylvania, and it says, Pennsylvania proud. And then into Delaware, it says, Delaware strong. And uh, it seems like uh, people in those states who control the highway digital boards, you know, they wanted to communicate that their state is tough or strong, you know, with, with one unified effort. They, in and of themselves, their state can defeat the coronavirus. Now, um, I think we all know it's a bit more complex than that, but nonetheless, you uh, can maybe appreciate um, the intention behind that. They're trying to encourage drivers on the road to stick with the plan and to encourage them that, that we can do this. And what they're trying to convey is that there's this characteristic of New Yorkers, according to the highway board there. New Yorkers, they're tough. Pennsylvanians, what's a characteristic of that state identity? They're proud. And the Delawareans, I don't know what you call people from Delaware, uh, this call them the Delawareans, well, they are strong. You know, those identities, those state identities in this case carried with it some certain characteristics. What, what we're going to see in Colossians 3 and 4 over the next several weeks is that our identity in Christ informs the way that we in Christ live. It, it carries with it certain characteristics. And the four verses that we see this morning um, 
are, are teeing all of that up, reminding us of our primary and fundamental identity as men and women in Christ that Jesus is that identity. And therefore, if we're going to continue to be transformed and have characteristics consistent with this new identity, that we need to have our focus on Christ. So, two simple points this morning in these four verses. One, our fundamental identity in Christ. Second, our fundamental focus on Christ. First, let's consider this identity that we've seen already through the first two chapters, and it's going to continue to be reinforced. But look at verse 1 of chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ. Look at verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Or verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Paul is reminding the early church and us that our identity, primary identity, is in Christ. And the person in Christ, the, the Christian, is made entirely new with this new identity. And then the new identity informs the way that we live. Remember, there's false teaching in this early church. The false teaching uh, is saying that, that you need to add to that identity in Christ. So, if you're a Christian, sure, yeah, believe in Jesus, but you also have to adhere to these legalistic practices in order to earn God's favor. Yes, you know, Christ is good, but you also have to have these certain mystical experiences, and then you're really a Christian. Uh, Yeah, Christ is great. We're going to… They want to add to the Christian identity, though. You've got to hold to this opinion if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you've got to say this. If you're a Christian, you have to do that, and then you're really a Christian. But what Paul is saying is that, no, if you're a Christian, your identity is in Christ, period. And if you focus on Christ, your new identity, then there will be this transformation. And the transformation, I mean, we'll see in chapters 3 and 4, it's going to change our our emotional outputs. It's going to change our sexual desires. It's going to change our family relationships and our work practices, that, that um, these, these tra- the transformation will pour out from this new identity, and we'll have new tastes and new desires. We'll have uh, relational harmony with others. Um, we'll know how to operate in our family life and in our work life and in the wider world. But all of that that we'll see in chapters 3 and 4 are a supernatural work of God in Christ by making us new. And because this identity change is so radical, all other things that we identify with good things pale 
in comparison, are, are left far behind in comparison to this new, radical, and wonderful identity that we now have in Christ. All the other things that we could rally around, um, your home country's culture, your family history, your social class, your educational background, your economic situation, ethnicity, nationality, what state you're in, whatever, all of those things are secondary to this new, primary, fundamental identity we have in Christ. Now, Paul frames this radical new identity in some pretty extreme language. He frames it by using language of death and resurrection. Verse 3 of Colossians 3, for you have died, death, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Or verse 1 of Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, it's resurrection, seek the things that are above. This is a radical new identity unlike anything else that we could identify with. And um, it's unlike or not like um, other identity crises that you may be familiar with. You know, this isn't like the, the midlife crisis that many people have had or, or have you seen where um, you, know, you reach a certain age and you're just rethinking your purpose, so you change vocations and careers, or you get that new house, or you get the second house, or you get that sports car or the boat, or maybe you give in to the puppy pandemic of 2020 and get one, you know, something like that. It, but this new identity is not like that. It's not like Matt Damon in the Born Identity movies. Okay, where um, he kind of forgets who he is, but he still has his fundamental core, and the core doesn't change. It's just about, you know, reminding himself of this. This isn't like a split personality thing, where you still have the same core, but it manifests itself differently. No, 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 no. What Paul was saying, by using the language of death and resurrection, this is a complete overhaul. Uh, this is sweeping stuff, new, radical identity. For you have died, verse 3 says. Now, there's, you've probably heard of illustrations before that try to capture this new essence that we have in Christ, what happens at conversion. And a lot of those are helpful. But at the end of the day, I mean, all of them fall woefully short. Paul, in, in chapter 2, talks about um, how our baptism… He says, having been buried with Him, with Christ in baptism, in which you have been raised with Him. And so, he uses this picture to, to convey this new identity. He, he reminds us of the ordinance of baptism. When we publicly identified with Christ and His people, um, when we do baptisms here, um, it, it kind of looks like that, that table, um, but then you take the lid off and it, it almost gives an appearance of a coffin. Uh, I've been to some baptism celebrations before where the pastor will get up and he'll say, today we celebrate a death. And, and in our baptism, when we get into the water, when we go down into the water, it's to uh, give a picture of Christ's death and also a picture of what we're dying to. 
We're dying to our old way of life. We're dying to our old allegiances. We're dying to our old commitment to self, our old self-centeredness, our old enslavement to sin, death, hell, and the grave. And then, you know, you, you're, you're given, doing a baptism, you know, hold them down there a little bit, and then they, they come up out of the water. And that's a picture of Christ's resurrection, raised to walk in newness of life. Paul conveys this picture of baptism and how it, how it represents this new identity really well in Romans 6, 1 through 4. After he's just explained the beauty of the gospel and our justification by grace through faith, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means. Do you not know, or how can we who died to sin continue to live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. But then it continues in verse 4, in order that… Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you too might walk in newness of life. This is part of that new identity that we have in Christ. And Paul frames it with language of death and resurrection. And we can't forget that it is Christ who does this work. I mean, this is what the the false teachers and in the Colossian church, we're saying that you have to do something to be transformed. You have to do something and say something and, and experience something in order to be transformed. But Paul says, no, remember who you are. It was Christ who redeemed you. It was Christ who has set us free. It's Christ who has plucked us out from the broken world, subject to death and decay, and has brought you and I into this new resurrection family. It's Christ who welcomes us into this, the the full membership of the new creation city of God. It's Christ who issues this fundamental change. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And as we have this new identity, then, then Christ begins to transform us. Or as one pastor says, this change in identity also comes with it a change of of address, you know, where we may um, have this, this earthly home, but our eyes are fixed in heaven. You may reside in the university district or Eastwood or the near west side, but Paul says now with this new identity, your home is in heaven. You may live in Manlius or Fayetteville or Baldwinsville, but your new home is with Christ in heaven. We have to understand this new identity we have in Christ and how it supersedes, it's supreme over all other affiliations. 
And it's radical, and it's new, and it's performed and executed by Christ and Christ alone. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Christ is your life. If then you've been raised with Christ, there's a fundamental change in identity for those of us who are Christian. And that fundamental change in identity then informs our fundamental change in focus. That's the last point. Fundamental change in focus. Verse 1 of Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So part of us living in this new identity is fundamentally reorienting our focus on Jesus, the things that are above where, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, the work Christ has done, it's expressed very clearly in the fact that He is seated at the right hand of God. Um, for our uh, family devotional time after dinner, uh, we've been going through this uh, Kevin DeYoung book called The Biggest Story, How the Snake Crusher Brings Us Back to the Garden. And my six-year-old son Judah loves Jesus being referenced as the snake crusher, you know, makes him feel like Jesus is a great warrior, which he is. And uh, near the end of the book, uh, Kevin DeYoung is, is talking about Christ's resurrection and uh, highlights Christ sitting down next to the Father. I'll read an excerpt from it. Talking about Christ's resurrection, it says, a whole bunch of people saw Him, Jesus, and ate with Him and told their friends that He was really alive. Forty days later, God lifted Him into the sky and gave Him the seat of honor at His right hand. And you know what the snake crusher did next? Because His work was done, he sat down, and God gave him the name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, everybody and everything would start to sing and shout and worship. He sat down. His work is done. He's given the name above every name, and Paul says that's where we're to set our minds. That's where we're to, to seek. I mean, notice how Christocentric or how Christ-centered, I mean, this whole book is, but particularly this section. It's all about Jesus. It's, it's not through personal experiences. It's not through certain adventures. It's not through saying certain, certain things or following a list of do's and don'ts. It's Jesus who transforms us. It's Jesus, when we fix our eyes on Him, that radically makes us New, it's, it's through the supernatural inbreaking and indwelling of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this then informs how we live and where we put our focus. Or as one pastor said, it's not become what you should be, but be what you have become in and through 
the work of Jesus Christ. The false teachers are saying more, more experiences, more rules, more laws, more activism, more ceremonies, more doctrine, more practices, more, 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 more. Paul's saying Jesus is enough. Therefore, we fix our eyes there. We seek the things that are above. If you seek within or set your mind within, the only thing you're going to find is more corruption, more sin, more wickedness. If you search without, you are just going to find more expectations and more slavery. But if we seek above and set our minds above and fix them on Jesus, His beauty, His courage, His majesty, His goodness, His grace, His glory, His strength, His purity, His perfection, then Christ begins to change us and transform us. And so we seek Him. When I think of seek, I don't know, um, there's other husbands out there like me who, uh, when I'm looking for something, something like little, like a pen or screwdriver or scissors, something that I should be able to find, but I just can't. I mean, after about three seconds tops, I go to my wife, hey, have you seen the pen or have you seen the, the scissor or whatever? And um, honestly, like before I can blink, she's already found it. Now, what's the difference there? How can she find it? Well, one, you know, she's mom, so she can find everything. But two, she's actually trying. I mean, I think that's the difference. <laughs> I'm just kind of fumbling around, wandering around, and like making a big hoopla about it and like giving a running, running commentary about how I can't find it. But she actually seeks and finds it. If we extend that metaphor a bit, I mean, there's so many of us that are just kind of fumbling around, making some running commentary about our lives, things that we're doing. All the while, we're not seeking Christ. It's an active word. Seek the things that are above. Why? Because of our identity, and that's where Christ is. And we set our minds on things that are above. What does that look like? Well, and pretty obvious things, but we, we seek Him through His Word, relationally, through prayer. We spend time with other Christians who are going to help us fix our eyes on Jesus, even during a pandemic and social distance and masks. We spend time worshiping Him. And the contrast there is, and we don't spend our minds set on things that are on earth. Now, that's a challenging thing with 24-7 updates and notifications on all our devices. It's a very difficult thing to do in the midst of a pandemic where information is flying at us fast and furious. And our men's, uh, the men's formation group, discipleship group, I was in yesterday morning, we're sitting outside at Panera Bread talking about this, and, and one brother was saying, I just had to turn some of that stuff off on my phone and discipline myself not to check it. What he's articulating is, I was setting my mind too much on the things of earth, and it was distracting me from setting my mind on things that are 
above. Where is your mind set? Or what is your mind set on? Social media? Comparing yourself to others? Breaking news? COVID tracking and tracing? What the school district's going to decide? The 2020 election? It's not bad to check those things. But how much are you consuming that in your thought life? How much are you focusing on that rather than setting your mind on things that are above? Now, it's not that we're like aloof and don't live on this earth. We do. But as we fix our minds on things that are above, that protects us and allows us to be, or to use the language of Hebrews, it's a strong anchor for our souls, that we may not be tossed to and fro by all the things that are coming at us fast and furious. It allows us then, as we're rooted and grounded in Christ, fixed on Him, it allows us then to love our neighbor with the right motives. It allows us to serve our spouse and disciple our children. It allows us to be good co-workers, employers, and employees. And on and on it goes. And that's what the rest of chapter 3 and the early part of chapter 4 of Colossians is then going to explain what this transformation looks like. What are some of the characteristics of this new identity in Christ? I want to end with a a quote from, it's a rather long quote, from Charles Spurgeon. But I think he, uh, as only he can, uh, passionately, somewhat dramatically, but powerfully encourages the church to fix their eyes on Jesus. And I pray that we would be encouraged by the words of Paul, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, and what I'm about to read from Spurgeon. Just listen as I read this. It is always the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite. He is constantly trying to make us look at ourselves instead of Christ. He insinuates, quote, your sins are too great for pardon. You have no faith. You do not repent enough. You will never be able to continue to the end. You do not have the joy of his children. You have such a wavering hold on Jesus, end quote. All these are thoughts about self, and we will never find comfort or assurance by looking within. But the Holy Spirit turns our eyes entirely away from self. He tells us that we are nothing, but that Christ is everything. Remember, therefore, it is not your hold of Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not your joy in Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not even faith in Christ, although that is the instrument. It is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore, do not look so much to your hand with which you are grasping Christ as to Christ. Do not look to your hope, but to Jesus the source of your hope. Do not look to your faith, but to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. We will never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our deeds, or our feelings. It is what Jesus is, 
not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. If we are to overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by looking to Jesus. Keep your eye simply on Him. Let His death, His sufferings, His merits, His glories, His intercession be fresh upon your mind. When you waken in the morning, look to Him. When you lie down at night, look to Him. Do not let your hopes or fears come between you and Jesus. Follow hard after Him, and He will never fail you. And then he closes with this line from the hymn, my hope is built on nothing less. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Father, I pray that as uh, Christian men and women, that we would allow our identity in You. We've been raised with You, and we've died, and our life is hidden with You in Christ. Christ, You're our life. Therefore, let us focus on You. Let us fix our eyes on You. Let us cling to You. And let us allow You, through the working of Your Spirit, to transform us. We love You, Lord. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.